Welcome to the Weekend Write-In, where writers read flash fiction. I'm Sovon Drake. And I'm John Edwill. It's May, John. The lilacs are blooming and I feel alive. So do I, just like our podcast. What do you mean? Well, today we're recording live. We are? And we have our authors live in the studio. In this little fort we built to record? How did you fit them all in here? It's so small. Ah, that's magic. Mm, Fair enough. Oh, it looks like we have Joyce Holt. How are you doing, Joyce? I'm doing fine. Great. And we have Mike Miller. Uh, Mike, is that your tuba you brought with you? Um, That's going to make things even tighter in here. Yep, I've got to play the tuba later today, so I haven't touched it for a year. It'll be great. Oh, that's exciting. It's good to get a, exercise your musical uh, interests a little bit. And finally, we have Tom Walborn. Welcome, Tom. Are you comfortable in here? Oh, it's a little tight, but I'll manage. Thank you. Oh, oh good. All right. Nobody sit on anybody else's uh, notes or feet or anything like that. It looks like we have a full house, John. Full's not the word for it. All right, let's get started, shall we? Who'd like to read first? Hmm, we can go ahead and uh, read mine. Uh, so I, uh, um, for this one, I picked this story because it makes me laugh. <laughs> um, I like it when I, I write things that crack myself up. It's a, it's, it's, it's a cheap form of entertainment. Um, I actually rewrote this one a little bit. So since we have uh, a bunch of different readers here, we could actually um, appreciate different voices for the dialogue. So, uh, <laughs> so I, we haven't actually assigned um, who's going to read what, but uh, I think Mike, you asked first. So do you have a? Yes, I got it. Yep. Okay. So Mike, you get to pick first who you'd like to be. Since my dad's name was Marvin, I'll read Marv. Okay. That sounds great. Um, Tom, who would you like to read? Mr. Shelton, the boss or uh, Fred, the other coworker? I'll start it off with Mr. Shelton. That, that sounds good since Miss, that, that, that sounds perfect. All right. <clears throat> we all ready? We're ready. Go for it. All right. Go for it. The meeting by Sovon Drake. Fred. Mr. Shelton, the CEO, liked to bark his orders. Give me the financial update. Fred jumped to attention and shuffled the notes before him. Even with meetings converted to Zoom during the pandemic, Shelton still gave him an ulcer. Sir, yes, sir. Fred pushed the glasses up his nose and hoped the soaked armpits of his shirt couldn't be seen on camera. What's the matter, Fred? Cat got your tongue? Marv, the only other person present on the Zoom meeting, sat in the gaudy luxury of his country home and tossed corn nuts in the air, catching them in his mouth. Marv, Fred, and Shelton were the only members of the company's management left. 2020 had decimated the firm. To retain their net worth, Shelton had whittled his team down to the bare bones. Fred and Marv owned equal shares and held equal seniority. When Shelton retired, one of the two of them would assume the helm. Fred dropped his pen nervously. Shut up, Marv. Let the moron speak. Well, sir, um, unfortunately, fourth quarter sales are looking about 30% lower than third quarter. Damn it, Fred. Shelton's fat face turned beet red. Tell me some good news for once. 
Pausing in his tirade, Shelton's face contorted unnaturally in pain, and he emitted a strangled wheeze. And he... <laughs> then he clutched his chest. Sir, are you all right? Fine. Just indigestion. It'll pass. Are you sure? Should I call your wife? He said he's fine and he's the boss. Plus, if anyone is calling his bombshell wife, it's me. Just then, Shelton collapsed and fell face down on his desk. Sir! Fred frantically dialed 911. Ah, don't bother. The old man had it coming. It's time for me to take over. Marv threw another corn nut in the air and caught it in his mouth and put his feet up on the desk. Fred glared at him as the 911 operator answered, and Fred gave her Shelton's address, explaining the three of them were on a Zoom call. She seemed unsurprised. Apparently, witnessing accidents remotely had become commonplace. They watched Fred in horror, Marv nonchalantly munching on corn nuts as Shelton lay motionless for what seemed like an eternity. Finally, the medics burst in and started CPR. Fred thought he heard Marv boo as they hooked Shelton's lifeless body to a defibrillator and shocked him. Nothing happened. They delivered three more shocks, but Shelton looked dead as a doornail. The medics said as much as they rolled him out the door to the ambulance, continuing seemingly fruitless chest compressions. Well, bub, looks like I'll be taking over the company. We both know you're too much of a nimrod to run it. Fred's cheeks burned. Marv was such an ass. Fred had been the butt of his and Shelton's jokes for nearly 30 years. Marv chuckled and threw another corn nut in the air. But once he caught it in his mouth, he froze. His hand went to his neck. Not a sound came out of his mouth. Fred watched as Marv's face turned blue. He made eye contact with Fred and pointed wildly to his neck. Fred put his hand to his ear. Sorry, bub. I can't hear you. Connection must have gone bad. Let's chat in the morning, shall we? While Marv watched panic-stricken, Fred slowly reached over and placed his palm delicately over his computer's mouse. Fred gave Marv a knowing grin before he clicked the red button on his screen. Leave meeting. Yay! Thanks, everyone. That, that was, was fun. That was really fun. <laughs> this was actually inspired um, by a true meeting where my boss choked a little bit, not seriously, um, while eating on a Zoom meeting. And we all sort of, you know, were stock still for a second. And um, we're like, oh my gosh, what would happen if you were actually choking, you know, once he recovered? And we're like, we'd have to call 911 and watch you choke. <laughs> and I think it was me who calmly said, unless of course we didn't like you as a boss. <laughs> <laughs> and we all are very, we get along very well. So this was, this was laughed at and well received since I have, I have a wonderful boss. I wouldn't let him, I wouldn't let him choke on a, on a Zoom call. Okay, why don't I go next? Okay. All right, let me give you a brief intro. This is called an imaginative title called Disguise because the prompt back in 2017 was Disguise. And I've asked a, uh, someone to help join me and read this. She is an internationally known writer, producer, director, and recording artist. Uh, but she's probably best known for her heartwarming rendition of the Campbell Soup Jingle. Please welcome Sleeping Draco. Yay. Thanks. Sleepy year. Do, 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 do,
I'm panicking with the, with the hold music. <laughs> Open up my Google Drive instead of my email. <laughs> okay. Disguise by Tom Walborn. As bank robberies go, this one was classic, straight out of the playbook. In fact, it was plan number 32. Five guys, one getaway car, black ski masks, and a couple of guns for effect. The robbers themselves could have come from central casting. There was Max, the ringleader, a tall, inscrutable type with ice-cold eyes. Rocky, the strong man, his muscles bulged under his tight sweatshirt. Arthur, a bookish type, he would check the cash for markings and distribute the shares. Sammy, the trigger man, he cleaned all of the guns and got them ready for the heist. And finally, Tony. Tony was a small, anonymous man, easily blending into a crowd. He drove taxi by day with the occasional side job as lookout and getaway driver. Max had brought them all together. They had trained for this for two weeks. Everyone knew their job, including, it seemed, the tellers. It was... Yes, sir. Right away, sir. And... Y'all have a nice day and thanks for banking with us. That last was probably due to their extensive training and not any heartfelt feelings of gratitude for the team's business. Tony did a superb job of getting them away from the crime scene. He avoided all of the street cameras, doubled back a couple of times to check for any followers, and smoothly pulled into an old warehouse on the waterfront. Even the warehouse was a cliche. I don't need to describe it to you. You've seen them a hundred times in old crime movies. Only when the gang goes inside with the door closed did they pull off their ski mask disguises. Arthur had them dump all of their loot on an old wooden desk that just happened to sit under a pool of light in the otherwise dark room. This is going to take a while. He said. I suggest you go get a cup of coffee. They all looked at each other. No one moved. Max said, I'm sure you won't mind if we stay here and watch you. When Arthur was finally done, they had $213,056 on the table. There were high fives all around, and then the team just stood there for a moment, looking at the cash and thinking their own thoughts. Rocky was the first to break the silence. Guys, I almost hate to do this. He reached up to the collar of his sweatshirt and ripped it off. The muscles came off with it and dropped to the floor. He pulled some glasses from his pocket, put them on, and blinked a few times. That's better. With his disguise off, he was not muscular at all. In fact, he had a little paunch. That happens when you spend most of your workday at your desk. He tugged the gun from his waistband and pointed it generally at his ex-teammates. I am Bruce, a federal agent with the Banking Administration. You are all under arrest for violating Section 2, Paragraph 4 of the Banking Code, Unauthorized Withdrawal. Arthur stood up so quickly his chair fell back with a loud bang. His surprised, soon-to-be ex-teammates turned to look at him. Sorry, Rocky, Bruce. I'm FBI agent Sterling. Since the haul is over 200 grand, I have jurisdiction. He pulled his blonde surfer boy wig off to reveal a buzz cut. Two guns followed and he covered the crowd on each side of him. Stand down, agent Sterling, Arthur and Rocky Bruce. I'm special agent Samson with Homeland Security. His elocution was amazing. You could just picture cross flags waving over his head as he pulled out his credentials with one hand and adroitly flipped them open while simultaneously keeping the game covered with his Glock 7.6 polymer frame automatic in his other hand. I'm your boss's boss and I'm taking credit for this bust. 
Max looked around the room. Guns were pointed everywhere. Tony was trying to make himself invisible at the end of the desk. I'm curious, Agent Sampson. You didn't take off any disguise. I came incognito as Sammy. Oh, of course. Well, I'm truly sorry, guys. It is obvious that you've all put a lot of hard work into this case. But you see, Tony is a terrorist. And this cash was all destined for a terror cell outside the country. So this is a CIA op. I'm not really Max, but if I showed you my creds, I'd have to kill you. Sterling Arthur, if you'd just finish, finish bagging up that cash for me. Thank you. It's all evidence, you know. Tony, you're my prisoner. Move along now. When they were well clear of the waterfront, Max let out a breath and mopped his face. Well, that was a hoot. I'm no terrorist, Max. I'm Tony, taxi driver and lookout. And I'm not CIA. I'm just Max, criminal mastermind. In that case, criminal mastermind. Tony stopped the car and pulled his gun. Get out of the car. Ugh. Ugh. Please leave the money bag here. Bye, Max. And Tony disappeared into the crowded city. That's a great story. It's very funny. <laughs> I don't remember reading that before. No. Uh, I didn't look at the comments, but there probably you probably did comment on it. <laughs> what? Um, how long ago did you write this? This was 2017. Okay. Oh, so that was a little before I started. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think I first read it 2019, really. Good. Well, thank you for your help. <laughs> any any other thoughts or comments on uh, Tom's story? I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I can just imagine it. One of those classic scenes with everybody at the end just pulling off their disguises. <laughs> yeah, kind of like an Ocean's Eleven or something where, I don't know, where there's all these, it's almost comical, right? More than almost. <laughs> well, thank you. That was fun. All right. So we have two, uh, so far we have a, a theme of kind of two, uh, kind, of, kind of like the bad guy, who's going to win, which bad guy's going to win kind of thing going on. Um, so what, who's up next? Who would like to read next? I've got some bad guys, although the main character is a good guy. All right. That sounds good. Okay. So we need a curmudgeonly kind of husband, George, and a buddy, playing chess with them later on. Uh, hey, Tom, would you be George? And Mike, would you be Leo? Sure. Oh, thanks. Sure. Grand opening by Joyce Fult. This is a small town in 1960. Are you coming, George? By gum, woman. I told you three times this morning. Ain't going to set foot in no highfalutin haberdashery. General store has got all I need. It's a mall, George, not a haberdashery. Like all the shops on Main Street, but under one roof. Think of it, a morning's shopping, nice and dry, even when it rains. In case you haven't noticed, woman, the sun's shining. Florence's granddaughter is driving. They'll be along any minute to pick me up. Are you sure you don't want to go, don't want to go with us to the grand opening? Get swallowed by a crowd by gum. Very well. I'll be home by dinner time, dear. Let me see now. My nice white kid gloves. There we go. Now my hat. Where did I put my handbag? Ah, there it is. See you later, dear. I'm off. 
I assume you have fun minutes going on driving here. Your move, Leo. Ah, gotcha. My bishop takes your rook. Just for that, I'll take your bishop. Here comes your main, George, back storming from the castle. <laughs> your turn. See you later tomorrow, though. Thanks so much for driving, Delia. Afternoon, Ms. Veneer. Afternoon, Leo. Spent your month's budget, I'll bet. Ah, rook to queen five. I did buy a new lipstick. About all I had time for, what with all the fuss. By gum, I told you the crowd would get out of hand. First thing, Florence won a drawing at the door. A corsage from the mall's florist. Miss Ritz won a prize. I never won anything in my life. We went up and down those newfangled escalators five times, like a ride at the county fair. Then the excitement began. One of the mall staff was up on a ladder fixing a banner that had come loose. He leaned too far and the ladder tipped over and there he was hanging by one hand to the bolt in the wall. Flo and I right to the ladder just in time. Your move, Leo. Then a toddler fell in the fountain. There's a lovely fountain in the heart of the mall, George. Indoors, can you believe it? Anyway, Flo and I took off our shoes and waded in to save the little guy. Didn't know where the parents were, so we each took one of the tyke's hands and promenaded up and down the mall till we found them. Ugh, not my other bishop. At lunchtime, we stopped at a nice little deli for a hamburger and malted milk. The young man at the grill somehow managed to set his apron on fire. He screeched and waved his arms and leaped over the counter and was about to go running down the corridor in panic. Flo and I grabbed him and beat the flames out with our hats. Uh, I'll need to go back tomorrow, dear, and buy a new one. I'm afraid this one will no longer do. My word, Ms. Veneer. You fried it to a crisp. George, stop stewing over your next move and take a look. What? Oh, my gum woman, how'd you do that? I've been telling you, George, the young man at the grill, Flo and I had to beat out his burning apron. What's that? That red all down their front. My word, that must be from my hamburger. I dropped it when I jumped up to chase a purse snatcher. He was getting away, so I threw my own handbag, tangled his feet, and dropped him like a calf roped in the rodeo. Flo and I sat on the rapscallion until the mall police arrived. I may need to get a new purse as well. Just look at this torn strap. What did you do to your hose? Oh, dear. I'll be needing new stockings as well. I believe that happened when Flo and I chased someone's runaway car in the parking lot. Built on the slope, you know, and someone forgot to set their parking brake. Good thing they didn't lock the door. Flo was ahead and got the door open. I dashed up and jumped in and stopped it just in time, nosed right up to a concrete barrier. A brand new 1960 Cadillac, it was. Brand new Cadillac? Just think what the repairs would have cost. <laughs> I'd never, George. The look on your face. We had a delightful time, dear. You missed all the fun. I gum. Oh, yes, I did that too. Here, your souvenir from the grand opening. Great flavored bubble gum. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> that was that was very cute. Um I really enjoyed that. <laughs> it's sort of a superhero, superheroes of the new mall. 
Yeah. Yeah. Just a normal day for a mother. <laughs> Good job. And that was uh, that was one of the old prompts where they had three different categories, didn't they, Joyce? Yeah, that was back in 2015. Ah, and what were the? What do you mean by three different prompts? Or or tell me more. Uh, let's see. In 1,000 words or less, pen a tale using these keywords: chewing ah. gum, souvenir, florist. Oh, and you had more words to work with. Yeah, but I didn't use a thousand. I only used 800. You did a good job with it. Thanks. How did you guys whittle it down to 500 or less in our usual prompts? Well, normally, even going back to the uh, Amazon write-on days, they, the prompts would come up as 500-word prompts, and 500 words or less tell such and such. Uh, but every once in a while, they'd throw a ringer in. Ah, uh, gotcha. All right. Who would like to go next? I think there's only one left. Well, there's two left, but they're all... They're each hoping the other one's going to say, I will. <laughs> I'll, I'll do mine. Um, I sent uh, you a message that has, um, I just need a woman's voice to do the last line. I sent it um, to your Wattpad private message. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. I suffer from too many inboxes. <laughs> how don't I know it? I have like four different Gmail accounts. <laughs> Yeah. have inboxes coming in all the time and i'll bring up mike's story are you able to see uh the story is it coming up yet yep okay um so uh let's see what the last line is i'll scroll along while you're reading so everyone can watch along all right anytime you're ready okay if you want something done right by ms miller I trudged into the kitchen, barely able to see. My body had arisen five minutes ago. My eyes were lagging behind. By this point in my life, I could go on autopilot to the kitchen. I would plod toward the coffee pot like a slow-moving guided missile. My hands would act on their own, arranging the mug, stirring in the creamer, and bringing the wonderful liquid of life to my lips without the slightest prompting from my brain. Today was no different. I groaned as I turned from the coffee pot and saw the pink list attached to the refrigerator by a magnet. What she want this time? I said, defeated. Ignoring the list was not an option. My best bet was to prioritize it from the least amount of effort to the most, then take my time, hoping I wouldn't get all the tasks finished. Take the cat to the vet and get him fixed. That seemed like an easy one. She had already made the appointment. All I had to do was drop off the poor guy, then pick him up later. From the word go, things didn't go as planned. The carrier wasn't in the last place I remembered seeing it. I scurried around the house, up to the attic, into the basement, then out to the garage. Stupid thing wasn't anywhere to be seen. I had to text my wife. Right where you left it, was the snarky reply. I looked in the basement again, thinking that's where I'd left it. Another text. Oh, yeah, I put it in the shed when I was reorganizing things last week. It was a small victory that I savored. I enjoyed when the wife had to admit I wasn't the reason something wasn't where it was supposed to be. Now to round up the cat. I regretted my edict that he be sent outside when he started marking everything in the house. Now I had to corral him. He was not cooperative, but what cat is? Hissing and claws aside, I finally managed to jam him into the carrier. 
I thought he was probably aware of what was about to happen to him. It was late in the afternoon when I got the call to come get the cat. Everything went fine. It was perfectly time I could use the errand as an excuse for why I'd left the clothes in the dryer without folding them. I had washed them, after all. The cat had no interest in leaving the carrier when we got home, so I left him by the door. I wanted my wife to see him to know that I'd started on the list. As I heard the door rustle, I casually strolled into the room, ready to accept my accolades. We exchanged pleasantries. Then she knelt down next to the carrier. She instantly scowled. What's wrong? Is he okay? I asked. He's fine, but this is the neighbor's cat. <laughs> I forgot that I muted. I'm laughing here. <laughs> it's okay. I think laughs are good. <laughs> I um, I remember that. I do remember this one. It's funny. If I had just heard it, I would have sworn that you wrote this, Tom, because you've written other stories with cats in them. <laughs> And other stories about errands, I think, too. <laughs> yes. But seriously, this could happen to everyone, it just sounds like. This could happen to anyone. I was looking back through the through the comments on this when I was picking which one to read, and I can't remember who asked if it was a true story, <laughs> but I tried to write it in such an effect that it, it would seem like a true story. There are some some personal things that I put in there about me being grumpy about my wife's lists and things like that yes, and enjoying whenever when she moves things and then tells me I did. And then we find out she did. I, I always enjoy and savor that. Yeah. That rings true in our household too. <laughs> the, the moving, the moving things and being blamed for them. One of our one of my husband's and mine's are one of our common sayings is I stand accused of moving something or hiding something. Sounds almost inquisitorial, that does. Mm -hmm. Well, John, you're, you're, up, you're up last. Okay. Um, let's see. Um, well, I've got, a story that, I've got a story here that needs a female voice. Let's see. How do we share things on this? It's on the bottom in the middle. It says screen share. Share screen. I nominate right. Joyce because sure. she didn't get it. She didn't get as many lines. So I nominate Joyce because I, I talk more anyways. <laughs> okay. okay. Can people see that? It's a little, no. little bit of a lag, but give it a second. Cause you're, you're sending it all the way from England. So. Yeah. The right. electric string gets a bit stretched at times. <laughs> yeah. I don't see it yet. Uh, let's see. Allow. Browsers preventing access to your share screen. Oh, mm, high security dear. system you've got there, John. Do you want me to open something for you? Uh, yeah. By the time we get this figured out, the pandemic will be over. <laughs> oh, please, please. <laughs> One can hope. <laughs> Although we, we should still keep doing it. Can't get together in person anyway. Mm -hmm. Oh, I absolutely agree. I love this. <laughs> Good. I was looking right. forward to it too this morning. Oh, I got it. I got it. Serpent in Eden. That's the one. All right. I'll screen. I can screen. Okay. Um, Joyce, you're going to be, you're going to be the first voice. Okay. Yep. I will so, do that. Ready? Yep. And introduce the title and your name. Serpent in Eden. By John Nedwell. 
We don't get many visitors around here. The waitress said as she brought my pie to the table. I looked about me. What I could see of the diner's clientele confirmed her statement. Certainly they had that certain something that marked them out as that curious breed called locals. Really? I smiled in an attempt to humour her. What gave me away? Your clothes and your accent. You from out west? I decided to play along with the waitress. Or, my name is Mary Beth, according to the badge that nestled just above her oh-so-mammalian right breast. Sure I am, I said, affecting a movie star accent. You got me. Now, there are those who might think it immoral to take advantage of someone so innocent as this waitress, but, being a doctor of journalism, I'd abandoned such bourgeois ideals a long time ago. They got in the way of a good story. Besides, deep in my cynical heart, I suspected that my name is Mary Beth was not entirely unschooled in the ways of the world. Mary Beth leaned across the table. I kept my eyes on her face despite the temptation. So what are you doing here? In the middle of post-apocalyptic America? Or in this diner? I stabbed at the pie with my fork. Doesn't matter. I'm heading for the East Coast. Mary Beth ruminated on this, then blew a pink bubble of gum. Ain't that dangerous? Sure, I said. But that doesn't matter to a doctor of journalism who's after a story. I beckoned the waitress closer so that I could whisper in her ear. I'm looking for the American dream. Golly. She exhaled a cloud of spearmint-scented breath. Really? I nodded. Even the apocalypse can't have destroyed that, so it has to be out there somewhere. And when I find that dream, I'm going to show to everyone. It's going to be epic, like Homer's Odyssey. Mary Beth's eyes brightened. Homer? You mean like that yellow guy off the TV? I'd love to meet him, but I'm stuck here. Well, if you don't have anything better to do... No. She stood up. I, I didn't mean it like that. I've got an hour till I get off shift. I dropped a tentacle across her arm. What's wrong with now? The waitress nodded to my attorney. He was on the veranda, his foliage spread out to catch the rays of the afternoon sun. He won't mind, I said. So long as you're not a vegetarian. He has very strong views about that. <laughs> well, that got a little weird towards the end. Uh, yeah. Fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. I, I love Hunter S. Thompson. For, for years, whenever I was coming over to meetings in the States, I'd always drag along a copy of his Great White Shark Hunt with me to read on the plane. And combine that with, um, I, don't know if, I don't know if people have heard of it, but there was, there's an old school role playing game called Gamma World, which is a real gonzo post-apocalyptic post game. So. With aliens? <laughs> Oh, it's aliens, mutants, terminators, strange powers, the whole kitchen sink. Mm -hmm. It's well written. I, I think I remember asking you after you wrote this, if you had driven across the American West, because, you know, capturing that, that side of the road diner feeling. <laughs> oh, only the East Coast, I'm afraid. Well, um, I... I'm going to have John, John, do you want to say some like, thanks everyone. And then I'll stop the recording. Okay. I will do. 
So thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And I'd just like to say thank you very much to all the people who turned up today in no particular order. That's Joyce Holt, Tom Walborn, and Mike Miller. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for, tur for turning up and making this a brilliant reading. It was a lot of fun. All right. I have to do it again. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Weekend Write-In Podcast. For more episodes and links to more work by these authors, go to our website at www.weekendwritein.wordpress.com. The Weekend Write-In Podcast is co-hosted, produced, and edited by John Nedwell and Sovan Drake. In this episode, royalty-free music is from festlionstudios.com, sound effects from BBC Sound Effects Archive, and freesound.org. Oh, peace and quiet at last. Yes, but just look at the state of the studio. Well, it's always the same after any party. At least this was just a small one. Imagine if we'd had more people around. Come on, time to start cleaning. All right. Sovan? Yes, John? Why do we have a traffic cone?